Good morning, church. That, was, that went really well. 8.30 didn't want to say good morning back very much. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who um, don't know me yet, my name is Jeremy Hall. I'm the high school youth and family director here at Christ Our Shepherd. If you've missed it, don't worry. It's been a very new thing, and I'm very excited to get to be a part of this congregation. I'm very excited to be here in Peachtree City, and very excited to be uh, here preaching for y'all today. It's a real big honor to get to speak to y'all, especially during Advent. This is like premium real estate, and um, I'm really thankful to get to have a piece of it. Um, I want to take a moment to thank y'all for how you've welcomed me into this congregation. Um, It's been, as y'all have made it as painless as possible, because it could have been a really difficult transition We've been having to commute throughout the week to finish up school in Birmingham. And y'all have been so understanding and so gentle and just really caring with me and my wife. And uh, both of us are just so grateful for the hospitality and the love that we've received from this church. So thank you very much. Also, I wanted to make sure, I don't know if y'all know this, but y'all are unique in the way that you do youth ministry. Y'all are absolutely outstanding in the way that y'all support the youth groups and their various operations that they do throughout the week and throughout the year. And I have not been with a church that cares so much about the youth ministry as a part of the church. And so thank you for being the congregation that you are. It's incredible to get to be a part of this. Um, So I would like to take us back to uh, Psalm 80. We read the first half of it up to verse 7. And I've got the slides for the rest of it. It's a neat song. A lot of things going on. I want to make sure we don't miss it. Um, So I'm going to pick us up at verse 8, which is where we're starting on the screen up here. Um, You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, and its shoots as far as the river. Why have you now broken down its walls so that all who pass by may pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and the insects from the field feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from the heavens and see what's going on here. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun, the the people, the kingdom you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand be on the man at your right, the son of man, You have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. And then the refrain that we see throughout the psalm. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we might be saved. um, I like this psalm. There's a lot of things going on. There's some beautiful language in there. Uh, Right up there on the first line, we had some nice Christ our shepherd language with, Oh God, who leads Israel like a shepherd. That's really fun for this church. Um, But it's not a particularly happy psalm. It's missing some of the classical elements of a lament, but many scholars have still lopped it in with the lament psalms. Um, It's a psalm of pain, of anguish, confusion, anxiety, and fear with just a a touch, just a dash of um, hopeful pleading for a future hope. You see, at this time in the Bible, in the narrative of Scripture, we have Israel divided into two parts. The northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. The northern kingdom has just been destroyed at the time that this psalm is written. 
It's just been destroyed in a three-year conflict with the mighty Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians sometimes called the Rome of the ancient Middle East because of their love for conquest. They have like a manifest destiny to take this whole region. They have very developed military tactics and weapons, brilliant strategists, and most important for a uh, wild kingdom like Israel, they have massive siege work machinery built for tearing down castles and breaking fortifications. And so it only takes them three years to destroy the entire country of Israel. Gone. The places of worship desecrated. The uh, palaces and homes burnt, destroyed. The vineyards, vineyards done away with. The farms gone. And the walled cities have their walls dismantled so that they cannot be defended again. And the people who survive this war are dragged away to Assyria as slaves, never to return to their home, leaving the kingdom of Israel as a deserted wasteland in ruins, waiting to be partitioned up, sold off, and used for the benefit of a pagan king. This is a psalm of fear and confusion, because these people are supposed to be God's chosen This is Israel we're talking about here, people. The people who God says, through you, I will bless all nations. Everyone is going to be blessed because of what I'm doing through you, and now it's gone. These are also a people of a covenant, a a law, an agreement, a contract, a uh, marriage between Israel and the divine that says we will live a certain way. We will have this different kind of lifestyle that will set us apart from everyone around us. It's a a way of doing life with God at its very center, where everything revolves around their relationship with the divine. But they have broken the covenant. They have not kept the law. They have been unfaithful, the contract. Their infidelity in this marriage has led them to this point. I mean, it was pretty simple on, on this area here. This is the law of Moses. This is the Ten Commandments. Have no other gods before me. Pretty cut and dry, but they couldn't keep it. And they've trivialized their religion and their relationship to their God, sacrificing it on the altars of the gods of wealth and prosperity and comfort and political expedience. And now the grace of God has moved beyond the sending of prophets and into the tough love phase where we actually have to pay the price for the sins committed. Where the Sinai covenant that they entered into has ramifications. If you can't keep this This is what's going to happen. They were given an option between a blessing and a curse. A curse that Moses explained would come in the form of an invading army. And now they've been unfaithful. They've ignored the prophets. And now the invading army has come. And Assyria has destroyed the northern kingdom. And they've lost everything. And reminiscing and trying to figure out what's going on and make sense of this world that they find themselves in, the psalm writer takes us back to the language of the Exodus, the leaving of Egypt where they were slaves, saying that God brought them out of that place and into this one, the way that a master gardener would transplant a flower with skill and precision, knowing how to clear and aerate the land, fertilized it and watered it. And now that it has grown into a garden, he has left it unprotected so that it can be trampled on and ravaged by robbers and wild animals. Anything that comes through can take its pick this garden they're saying why have you left us alone like this they're crying out 
in, in the agony of this for, they're crying out for mercy here. Knowing full well that this is their fault. These former slaves are staring slavery in the face all over again, knowing that they brought this on themselves. Their infidelity, their inability to keep the law has brought them here. But this is much bigger than just these people. There's a lot going on here. It's not just the Israelites and their cities and their covenant and their God that we're talking about today. This is about all of humanity estranged from the Creator. It would seem that the Exodus, the central and defining event in Jewish history, the thing that marks the major turning point in the Old Testament, wasn't big enough. Because there's something fundamentally wrong with humanity. A geographical move wasn't enough. A covenant wasn't enough to fix the brokenness in the heart of man. And this brings us to the last verse of the psalm, which is still on the screen, um, saying that if, if you would just come back to us, O God, then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on you. This is a challenge to God to show up for them the way he did for their ancestors. And they're, they're saying that if you would just show us who you are, we would worship you again. They're challenging the God whose name is I am what I am or arguably I do what I do or I am what I do to define himself again, to do it again. And this is where we come into the story, church. The message of Advent, when we celebrate Advent, when we light these candles, we recognize that man is hopelessly estranged from God and waiting for a solution, crying out for help. All of humanity, hopeless, lost, drifting, no purpose, no future, no meaning. No way for us to ever go back to the Eden-style connection that we had with God. Crying out against the injustice of this world and the brokenness that we face daily. No way for us to ever go home. Begging God for an exodus, begging God to shine his face on us again, begging God to say his name one more time. Advent is the hope for the impossible. We light these candles hoping for the impossible to happen. A chance for God to to show up, to show his face, to do something about the state of this world. It's a challenge to see if the I am still is. We, just like the writers of the psalm, are challenging God. Just remind us who you are and we will know you. Just show us your face and we will worship it. Tell us which way you want us to go and we'll follow it. But you've got to show up for us, God. And this cry echoes across all of time and space throughout all of human history and across every page of scripture is the plea for for help for an explanation begging god to come and then one day it happened the gospel writer of john starts his book off by saying that in the beginning was the word and the word was god and with god you've heard this before and then he says um, and we have a slide for it the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus comes to kick off 
a new exodus and to show us a new way to live, to bring us home and to let us know God in a real and tangible way. This Advent season, if you are feeling distant, lost, broken, or confused, take some time to challenge God to be God in your life. If you are feeling lost, distant, broken, confused, take some time to challenge God to show up in your life and see if he doesn't do it. Challenge God to show up and see what happens. Because in Jesus, the the man born to a virgin, born in a manger of all places, we find a God that does not exist somewhere else on some celestial plane far above and beyond and transcendent and unreachable to us, far beyond the pain and suffering of this world. But we find a God who wants to be here, a God who is now, a God who is present and alive in the pain and muck and grime of this world, a God who works with, in, through, and around us in our suffering, in our pain, in the blood and the dirt and the tears that the psalmist says we've been drinking by the bucketful since the beginning of time. And all of this starts with the divine invasion of the earth on Christmas. All of this starts with the strange situation. All of this starts with the brutal reality of a Jewish nation waiting for a savior that they've been told by their now occupying Roman rulers will never come, living under the boot of the most powerful military dictatorship to ever control their part of the world. It all starts with a pregnant teenager who's not married and a very confused fiancé. And in this kind of confusion and darkness and the hopelessness of first century uh, Palestine, we find the most incredible joy anyone has ever seen. We see Mary in all of the the stigma and taboo and fear and confusion and apprehension of the state she finds herself in, saying that from now on, everyone for the rest of time is going to know me as the one who is blessed. And we see such joy that just proximity to this woman becomes contagious when she goes and sees her cousin Elizabeth, the child in her leaps for joy. And we're, we're talking about pregnant women talking to each other here this was probably a weird conversation lots of crying um the husband Zacchaeus is like i'm just gonna stay inside this is getting weird um and we all think it's cute when like babies kick or like push and stuff but imagine if the child in you like gets a good footing and leaps you know you're probably having a bad day um but john the fetus one day john the baptist leaps with joy he understands what's going on before he is even born that this is the most important thing that has ever happened jesus comes in these strange and potentially terrible situations to bring us home, to start a new exodus, to give us a new way to live, a way that eventually leads us and him to the cross. And he does it for you and he does it for me. This whole invasion, this strange covert op that God pulled one day in in the ancient Near East for all of humanity that sets things straight as a chance for you and I to come home, for us to be reconciled to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For God so loves the world that he still gives his son. For God so loves you that it's almost Christmas. Merry Christmas, church. Amen.